You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, happy Easter, Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us for worship on Easter Sunday, especially if you are new. Maybe this is your first time uh, to worship with us, and even though it's different than what we would normally do, we're so glad to, to welcome you uh, to worship with us. And if you are uh, a guest, if this is you know first or second time, uh, what we'd love is we would love to connect with you. And I know that these are strange times, but we would love to uh, find out more about you and, and answer maybe any questions that you might have about our church. And, and the way to do that would be for you to text CONNECT to the number that's on the screen right now. Text CONNECT to that number, and someone from our uh, church family will follow up with you this week and uh, have a conversation with you. But most of all, just want you to know that we are thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning. I said uh, Happy Easter, and I do mean it, uh, but I want to acknowledge that this is a strange Easter because of everything going on in the world. I, uh, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in church, and this is the very first Easter of my entire life where I am not celebrating Easter Sunday in a church building gathered with the people of God. Uh, instead, we are scattered, and we are in our homes right now. And, and, and many of us uh, are in our homes and, and afraid, maybe in our homes and afraid to leave our home, uh, or in our homes and just um, sad, or in our homes with a lot of fear. And, and, and maybe that means you know, we're nursing the wounds of bad news that we got in the last few weeks, or we are anticipating bad news that's coming in the next uh, few weeks. And so Easter lands at a strange time because it is by its nature a day of celebration, but it's landing in our lives uh, at a time where there's not a whole lot of celebration, there's just a whole lot of crisis. And yet, there is unique hope for us in that. Here's what I mean. I was reminded this week uh, that this, in so many ways, what we're experiencing is the very setting that marked the first Easter The very first Easter Sunday, you had followers of Jesus in their homes, afraid to go outside. Followers of Jesus hidden in their homes, scared of what's happening in the world. And it was in that setting that they were surprised by hope that the presence of the risen Jesus came into their homes and interrupted the sadness with celebration and interrupted the fear with peace. And that's my prayer for us this morning, my friends, that that, that that would happen on this Easter Sunday, even though it's, it's strange and difficult. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is where we will be this morning. If you'll turn there with me, I'll start reading in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the message of Easter. In a lot of ways, that's the message of Christianity, the very 
heart of Christianity is that Jesus is no longer dead, he's alive. It's why we gather on Sundays, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's why the heart of so much Christian message and preaching, the earliest Christian sermons, they had the resurrection of Jesus as their main point and their most powerful punchline. Peter, he's preaching in Acts chapter two. This is one of Jesus's closest friends. And a few weeks after Jesus rose again from the dead, he says this to a group of people. He says, Jesus, you crucified. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This reality, this truth is at the heart of Christianity, that Jesus was nailed to a cross and was on that cross anywhere from six to nine hours. He was taken off of that cross after he died, buried in a tomb. And three days later, Peter says, God raised him to life, loosed the pains of death. He could not be held by it. And what we mean by resurrection, what the Bible's gonna say is not that it's some sort of spiritual metaphor, that he was physically raised back to life. Uh, It's not like Jesus actually stayed dead, but we say he rose uh, because his influence has lived on and so he's, he's alive in our hearts. That's not it. In fact, the Bible would say if that's it, then we are to be pitied among all people. Uh, he is not alive in our hearts because he lived a good life and then left a meaningful legacy. He is alive in the world because he lived, died, lived again, and left an empty tomb. Jesus rose again. That's what Easter's all about. In so many ways, what Christianity is all about. Okay, what does that mean to you? Uh, What does Jesus coming back to life 2,000 years ago, what does that have to do with you April of 2020? And what is your response to that is, is the question I have for us this morning. And more than likely, if, if you're participating right now, your, your response is going to fall into one of three categories. Maybe you're listening and you would say, it's a myth. Like, I don't believe it actually happened. That Jesus was a real person, for sure. He lived. Maybe he even died uh, on a cross, but he didn't come back to life. People don't come back to life. That's just something that, you know, religious people believe to make them feel better about themselves. If you think about it, maybe more cynically, or maybe you actually like the story. You don't believe that he came back to life, but what, what you would say is that, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good story, and I draw like a really good moral lesson out of it. When I think of the story of Jesus raising again, I don't believe it actually happened, but it reminds me of the persistence of the human spirit, right? Like, don't let the crosses in your life get you down or something like that. Listen, if you are uh, with us right now and that's where you land, you don't believe it happened, I wanna uh, spend a little time here, just right at the very beginning, because if that's you, I'm really glad that you're here with us this morning and I'm not sure that we're gonna, uh, that we'll get you back next Sunday. So if we were to have this conversation, you'd say, I don't believe the resurrection is true, but I'm open to a conversation. And if you and I were maybe to sit down over coffee or or I guess it would have to be Zoom or something like that, there's a few things that we could talk about. We could talk about the historical reliability of the resurrection, that we have as much 
reason to believe it happened as we do most things that happened 2,000 years ago, that there's eyewitness accounts, it's been preserved in ancient literature uh, faithfully over the years, right? It, it's been substantiated by a growing Christian movement. We could have that conversation, but you know, the conversation that I would most want to have with you is uh, what do you think about what you and I both know is not a myth? And that's death. We both know that's not a fairy tale. We both know that's reality. We both know it's inescapable. And so what do you think about it? So you don't believe Jesus rose again from the dead, but, but what do you think about death? Not just death, but your death. Happy Easter. I'm not trying to be a bummer. I care that you're with us this morning and I want to know what is your answer? What do you do with it? And maybe it's, look, I don't know. Uh, I'll think about that when my time comes. Or maybe it's, you know, uh, after this life, there is nothing, and so it doesn't really matter. And I wonder on Easter Sunday, I wonder if you'd be willing to consider something today. There was a philosopher named Herbert Fingeret. He taught philosophy at the University of California for 40 years, and he's a brilliant man, super intelligent, wrote several books, and he had really strong thoughts about death. In fact, he wrote a book all about death. And in that book, he said, basically, it doesn't matter. He said, you shouldn't uh, fear it. You shouldn't worry about it because when you die, there is nothing. And so why would you fear something that you won't even experience? And that book that he wrote about death was written in 1996. And 20 years after he wrote it, something happened in his life that changed him. He started dying. At uh, 97 years old, he was actually faced with death. And when faced with death, he began to question his conclusions about death. And he said this, it haunts me. The man who wrote an entire book about how unnecessary it is to fear death is now facing death and he's haunted by it. And he says, he's, he's wondering, did I miss something? Have I been wrong this whole time? And what saddens me is the reality that the answers that he gave around death in his life were no help to him when he was actually dying. You believe something about death, and, and maybe it's that you can stave it off for a really long time, and I hope you do. Maybe it's that uh, this life is all there is, and so you're just gonna live as best you can, and I hope you do. But my question for you, friend, are the answers that you've come up with around death the kind that sound good when you are healthy, but will turn up empty when you're actually dying. They will fail you when life starts failing you. And I, I don't know you, and maybe this is an odd way to start an Easter sermon, but I love you, and I wonder if you would consider taking the skepticism that you've directed at Christianity and pointing it at some of your own answers and asking if what holds up today will hold up for you when it really matters. My cards on the table is that I don't have an answer for death. I don't, but God does. And Easter is his answer, and I am holding on to that answer that Jesus rose, and it's mysterious, it's not a myth, and I have seen it hold together when it matters most. I 
just this week talked to one of my friends who's grieving the loss of his father. And he said about his dad, because of his hope in Jesus, he did not fear death. I've been at the bedside of the Christian whose life is fading and health is failing in moments of life, just moments of life left in them. And this answer did not fail them as they slipped into the arms of their Savior, who they have confidence in because he has power over death. So some would say, it's just a myth. And then maybe others, the response would be, it's tradition. And by tradition, it's only tradition. Like, I believe it, and maybe you've done the Easter thing for much of your life, and if someone were to ask you, did Jesus stay dead or did he come back to life? You'd be like, no, three days later, he rose again, went back to heaven to be with the Father, and you wouldn't deny it. But for you, it's just tradition, meaning it is only history. Maybe like uh, Independence Day, right? You know uh, America is a country, and you know America has a beginning, and she won her independence, but you only really think about that once a year. Uh, You only really think about that on July 4th when you barbecue with your friends, and you watch fireworks, and you make your kids wear matching red, white, and blue outfits. But beyond that, you probably didn't think about Independence Day this morning or last week, or maybe you haven't thought about it since July 4th of 2019. And and maybe Jesus's resurrection is the same for you. You only think about it around this time every year. You believe it, you don't deny it, but only about once a year. And it's because it's just tradition and you're not really sure where it fits in any other time of year. What we see in the passage that we read is not only is the resurrection not a myth, but it's more than tradition. It's personal. It meaning it affects everything about me. It affects who I am. My oldest had a birthday last month and we celebrated all day. And before he went to bed that night on his birthday, I hugged him and I told him, I said, buddy, I am so glad that you were born. And he got this real thoughtful look on his face and he said, Dad, I'm so glad you were born because if you weren't born, I wouldn't even have a birthday. And he's right. He has a birthday only because he has a mom and he has a dad. And if uh, we weren't born, then he wouldn't be born. Without my my life and and his mom's life, right, his birthday uh, doesn't happen. And so he says, I'm glad that you were born because you were born, I have a birthday. And so he's grateful for something that happened before he was alive, and it's personal to him because he knows without it, he wouldn't be alive. And the way he personalizes something that happened in my life because of what it means for his life, that's the way the early followers of Jesus reflected on his resurrection. That's how these passages we just read this morning talk about Jesus's resurrection. It happened before you, but it's personal to you because as a Christian, it shapes everything about you. What we'll see is it it shapes your past, your present, and your future. That because he rose in your past, it says you have been raised. Because he rose in your present, it says that you are hidden with Christ in God. And because he rose, it says about your future, one day you will appear with him in glory. Look with me again at verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised, past tense, with Christ, the, uh, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. We'll come back to verses one and two next Sunday. 
Set your mind on things that are above. And then verse three, for you have died. So two statements, both past tense. They both mean the same thing. You have died. You have been raised. Uh, Over and again, you see the Bible say what happens to Jesus physically happens to us spiritually the moment we repent and believe. It's not just spiritual. It's also physical. But we'll get to that. He says that Jesus died and rose again. And so we, as believers, the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we who were spiritually dead are made alive. That's what the resurrected Jesus offers to all, death to life. We've said this before. We'll say it again. Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. Christianity is not good people getting better. Christianity is dead people brought to life through Jesus. And so I am not a Christian because my past is cleaner than anyone else's. And I'm not a Christian because I attend church more than just Easter Sunday. I am not a Christian because I belong to a certain political party or dress a certain way or talk a certain way or spend my money a certain way. No, I am a Christian because I was dead. Jesus, who died and rose again, made me alive with him. And that's the Christian story from death to life through resurrection. Let me be clear about something. Um, This is a bit problematic for many of us because that's not popular opinion. This is something that for many of us we reject outright or something that even we as Christians forget because the prevailing thought in Western culture is that this isn't what my problem is. I'm not dead in need of life. Maybe a prevailing thought would be I'm just discontent in need of a little change and live my life believing, maybe not saying out loud, but believing I'm just one change away from things being fine. I'm just one change away uh, from living the life that I want to live, right? And, And that message is all around us. You are just one away. You are one vacation away. You're one promotion away. You're one marriage away. You're one divorce away. You're one child away. You're one child moving away away. You're one dream come true away or a new car away or a new house away or a new romance away or you're one makeover away or one friend group away or one good party away from everything in your life falling into place, just one change away from life being fulfilling and one change away from your problems going away and just one change away from being the you that you want to be. And so that's what I'm after. If that's what I believe, then in my life, I'm after a little more of something or a little less of something. And and I believe that just the right set of circumstances and I'll be fine. Or if that's not the prevailing thought, another prevailing thought is that I'm not dead in need of life. I just need to work harder to be the version of me that I know I can be. Work harder to be the version of me I know those around me will love and accept and offer value to. I came across an interview that David Letterman gave in the late 90s. Uh, Growing up in my house, uh, my dad watched him on late night. He preferred Letterman over Leno, and so I've I've always liked him in this interview, though, Letterman's not the one giving the interview. He is the one being interviewed, and he's talking about his experience as a TV host. He's talking about what it's like to host late-night TV, and and even though uh, he is a funny guy, what he says is really honest, and what he says is not a joke. He says, every night, here's what it's like, every night you're trying to prove your self-worth It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, 
smartest, most charming, best smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. Now, I don't know what Letterman believes. He said this a long time ago. I don't know what he believes about God, but what I know is what he is describing here is a common human experience, a common human belief that uh, I can offer to others a version of me that proves my life matters. And I can offer a version of me that proves that I have worth. We all have a stage of sorts. It's the roles that we have as a parent or a spouse or what we do for a living or the, or the friends that we have, and we all have an audience. It's the people who encounter us in those roles. And if life, it's so easy to believe life and meaning and salvation even is about performing on that stage, whatever that might mean for you, success or being likable or even being moral. And it's offering a version of me so that those around me enjoy their experience of me and offer appreciation or offer love or offer respect. And if they don't, I'm unhappy and I'll try again tomorrow. And if they do, I feel worthy but I still have to try again tomorrow to keep it up. And under all of that is the belief that the love I need and the life I want, I can get for myself by offering the best version of me. And here's what I want us to consider. Whether it's saying that I just need one more change or I just need to offer my best, why doesn't it work? Like if, if all I actually needed was just one more change, wouldn't those changes bring peace? Wouldn't they bring lasting peace? If all I needed was to work harder to offer the best me to those around me, surely I would have mastered that by age 25 at least. But that's not what happens. You know this, the life that I just described, if we're being honest, is a life that not only doesn't work, but it's a life that's exhausting and it's a life that's disappointing because change uh, either doesn't come because I'm not in control of all of my circumstances or change does come and it doesn't do what I thought it would do. My trying harder to be better only amounts to hiding most of who I really am and living in fear that one day someone finds out all of who I really am. And because it doesn't work, we then medicate the disappointment and we medicate the exhaustion. And most of the ways that we medicate are dark, but even if they aren't, they still don't bring life. It's why the Bible here in love invites us to consider or be reminded that maybe what's wrong with me and what's wrong in my life is bigger than what one change can fix. Maybe what I need is greater than what my own performance and gifts can secure for me. Maybe, apart from Jesus, I'm dead in sin. And yes, that's bad news, but God is kind to be honest with us about us. Look, if I am sick, I, want the, I don't want the doctor who tells me what I want to hear. If I'm sick, I want the doctor who tells me what's wrong, whether it's easy to hear or not, because I have no shot at healing if I don't know I'm sick. I have no shot at healing if I don't know how I'm sick. And the Word of God tells us here, in love, 
that we were not people in need of one more change or not people in need of a little more applause. We were dead in need of resurrection. And if I am dead in my sin, my only hope for life is someone who can bring life. And the only one who can bring life is the one who conquered death. And that's where the good news enters in and overwhelms the bad because Jesus is the one. Died in my place, rose in victory over death. And Christian, that's your story, that he reached into your spiritual death, through his death, in your place, with the power of the resurrection, forgives our sin and brings you to life. Our passage says, because he rose, you have been raised with him. Our life then does not hinge on one more change. The change we most need, we already have. And we're not waiting to become then a better version of us while we were at our worst Dead in sin, the one who defeated death loved us so we can live in both freedom and honesty. You see that the resurrection is just so personal to you and so personal to me. He did not just live again. Because he lives, I am alive. And because he lives, you are alive. You have been raised. It doesn't just stop there, though. It goes into verse 3, and he continues. He says, your life is now in the present hidden with Christ in God. He rose and in your past, he brought you to life and now your life is with him in the present. You are hidden with Christ. And and that speaks to how secure you and I are in him. Jesus makes this point in another conversation that he has with his disciples. He's talking to them in John chapter 10 and he wants them to know how secure they are with him. And he says it like this, my sheep hear my voice, I give them eternal life. And then he uses this beautiful imagery of security. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Not only that, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one will snatch them out of the father's hand. And he says this, I and the father are one. So hidden with Christ in God, secure with Jesus. It means the hands of Jesus are around you and your life is safe and secure in his hands. And the hands of the Father are around you and your life is safe and secure in the Father's hands. And then the Son and the Father are one. It means you are held by the Trinitarian God and you are as secure there as the Father and Son are inseparable, hidden with Christ in God. And it doesn't mean that you'll never hurt. It doesn't mean that you'll never suffer. It means that with Christ, you are loved with a love that's not insecure. And that with Christ, you have meaning and value that suffering, no matter what it is, cannot take away. And difficulty, no matter what it is, cannot take away because your life is not defined by what can perish. Your life is hidden with Christ who is eternal. This is timely because these are insecure times. These are unstable times. This virus that we are fighting has caused hurt in so many ways and will continue to do so. And as we've said the last several weeks, there's much to grieve and likely there will continue to be much to grieve. And this is not time as Christians for uh, fake smiles and cheap platitudes. It's a time for lament and it's a time of shared burden. It's a time of weeping with those who weep. But it is also a time to remember where as Christians 
we find our security and to be comforted there. We uh, tend to hold on to what we believe is most secure, especially in crisis, to run in the instability to the thing we think is most stable. And what many of us are discovering in this time is that what we found security in is not as secure as we thought. My job or my health or my company or the economy or my resources, it all feels a little bit unstable or a lot unstable, and yet Jesus has not moved. Jesus is not shaken, and you are in him. Would you go to that truth for comfort in this time? Hold on to the security you have in him. Uh, my son, when he was in kindergarten, I went and had lunch with him at his school, and after lunch, uh, he was playing in the school gym, just forgot uh, that I was there because he was playing with his friends, and a kid, a couple of grades older than him, kicked a basketball, and it hit him in the face, and he fell down. Uh, and immediately started crying. And he looked up, he got up and looked up and looked around the gym, still crying, and he saw his teacher, and he started walking uh, toward her. And then as he's walking toward her, he saw me and remembered that I was there, remembered that I'd come to lunch with him. And, and he turned and he ran up to me and he buried his face in my chest and I just hugged him while he cried. And his teacher, who watched the whole thing, she came up to check on him and she said something to me. She said this, Usually, when he gets hurt, which I guess happened a lot in kindergarten, usually when he gets hurt, he comes to me. She said, but someone more comforting to him was here today. When we're in pain, when we're hurting, when we get knocked down, when we're at a loss, we will all run to something we think is secure, and we will run to what we think is secure for comfort in the instability. And there are a lot of places to run to for comfort. And maybe in all of this mess, you've taken some steps towards something or you've taken some steps towards someone. And maybe what you're moving towards actually won't bring more security in your life, but will bring more chaos into your life. And God has you here now on Easter Sunday in the middle of a pandemic that you might stop in your steps and you might turn your eyes and remember about Jesus that he is the most secure presence in the room. Someone more comforting to you is here today. It's Jesus. You're invited to run to him, to know that you are hidden with him in God and you find your footing in him because nothing about the last month has threatened what you have in Jesus, the love and meaning and value is unshaken by illness or loss or crisis. And because Jesus rose right now, because of his resurrection, your present life is marked by being hidden in a secure savior and you will remain with him even if everything else falls apart. You have been raised in the past right now you're hidden with Christ and then you have a future. Verse four says it like this. I love this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Because Jesus rose, you have a future that's not unknown and a future that's not uncertain. Glory is coming, it says. 
It's the word that the Bible uses to describe the perfect world that Jesus is bringing. Glory is coming, and it's a day that is marked by no more illness and no more pain and no more tears. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Glory is coming, and Jesus will be there, and you will be with him. It says you will appear with him. It's the glory that Jesus is bringing, but you get to be there because of your relationship to him. You get to be there because he knows you. Have you ever watched the uh, on the field celebration after uh, the Super Bowl or after some sort of sports championship? Uh, what always happens is, is the athletes, the ones who played in the game, the ones who won the game, they are scattered throughout the field and eventually people join them there. And not just the reporters or their teammates, but people from their life will begin to join them in the celebration. And you've seen it. You've got the football player, and then all of a sudden, uh, he's holding hands with some woman, right? Or, or all of a sudden, he's holding a child, or, or there's someone there standing next to them that they, that they hug. And, and they're getting, these people in their life are getting to share in this incredible moment. They're getting to share in this once-in-a-lifetime celebration. And I always wonder... When I watch that, I always wonder, who are they? Like, what's, what's the relationship? Like, this is the athlete, and they are celebrating, and I know why they're there. They're there because they won. They're there because they competed. But whoever's around them, like, they didn't play in the game. They didn't win the game. They are only there by association to someone else. They are only there because of their relationship to someone else. Their relationship got them into that celebration. And I always just want to ask, who is that? Like, is that, you know, your daughter or your niece, or is that your brother, or is that your wife? Like, who are they to you that they get to share in this moment with you? One day Jesus will return, and it is this glorious day, like the day that he walked out of the tomb. The clouds will burst open, and everything will be made right. And there will be this wonderful celebration, and it's about Jesus. He's in the middle of it, and we know why he's there. Uh, we, we know that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the one who carried the cross. He's the one who conquered the grave. He's the one who's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He won the battle. He deserves the glory. And we know why he's there. It's about him. It's his glory. And who's with him? You are. Standing with him. It says you will appear with him in glory. And you're not there because you did anything to get there. You are there because your relationship to Jesus got you there. You're there because he knows you. And if I were to ask, if I were to wonder and if I were to ask, Jesus, who is that? And point to you. Who is that with you, Jesus? Who is it that gets to share, not just in your moment, but who gets to share in your eternity? You know what he would say? If you imagine with me, he would put his nail-pierced arm around you and he would say, this is my brother, or this is my sister, this is my disciple, this is my follower, this is my beloved, this is my friend, this is the one I bled for, this is the one I forgave, this is the one I pled for at the right hand of God, the one I was proud of in their obedience and patient with in their sin, the one who's tears I saw and the one I was near to in their suffering, the one I was enough for, the one I surprised in a lifetime with mercy and adorned with grace, the one that I never left, the one that I never stopped caring for. This is one that I love. 
This is one who belongs to me. This is one who is with me forever and ever. And I am so glad to share my pain-free, worship-filled eternity with them. That is your future, Christian. Because he rose, you will appear with him in glory, not because of you, but because you belong to him. Praise God. The resurrection of Jesus is personal to you. He has been raised and you have been raised and you are hidden with him and you will appear in glory. And I know we find ourselves celebrating Easter in a time that's different, celebrating Easter much like the first one in our homes, saddened by what's happening in the world. And what they were met by on that very first Easter is the risen Jesus. He sustained them and comforted them and surprised them with hope. And the same hope is ours because the same Jesus is present. He has changed your past. He is in your presence. He promises your future. He is alive. He is risen. Happy Easter, church. God, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the great victory that we have in you, Jesus. That in a time that's just so fragile, and in a time where the, the things that have just been so easy to trust in for so long are starting to crumble and be weakened by unexpected, uncontrollable circumstances. We can be reminded, Jesus, that you stand firm. You conquered the grave. You, Jesus, are the one who is the champion who defeated our greatest enemy. And in your resurrection, you have shared the spoils of war with us. You have declared about us that our past is forever changed, that our present is held secure by you, and our future is not unknown, and our future is not uncertain, but we know glory is coming, and we get to be there with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.